Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On this week's episode of White Wine Question Time... Oh, yeah, yeah, we had one of the beds, because there was 14 bunk beds on a touring bus. So there was always one or two beds that were never used. So we decided to get a sunbed company in and turn it into a sunbed. So when we're traveling from place to place, you can get on and get a nice tan. So you turn up on stage, look great. Yeah, I remember, I remember. Any Irish people that you meet on holiday, the first thing they look for is an Irish bar. Yeah, you know what I mean? Somewhere to get an Irish breakfast. Yeah. Go, where can you get the best Irish breakfast? Went to that shop there and see to do the Irish sun. Go to see what's going on at home. You only got here today. <laughs> Question number two. I talked about a lot. No, he just, he just broke the Are chair you? and fell on the ground. <laughs> oh! Right? Okay. I'm working years. And welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guests this week have been friends since 1998 and colleagues since 2016, having both left huge 90s pop acts to years later strike out as a duo, forming a kind of cut-and-shut version of two of Ireland's biggest boy bands, which they've toured everywhere, from South Africa and Cambodia to Vietnam and here in the UK. In their respective bands, they collectively sold over 55 million records around the world. They notched up more than 17 number one singles and performed with everyone from Mariah Carey and Pavarotti to the Bee Gees and Mr Bean. Now, they're working as boys' life, recording their own original material, as well as performing some of their biggest hits from their time in both Boyzone and Westlife after years away from the original lineups. In the intervening years, one's worked for the best part of a decade on Coronation Street, the other launched a hugely successful television and singing career on the other side of the world in Australia. So there is a lot to catch up on. Let's dial him in, shall we? It's Keith Duffy and Brian McFadden. Hello. Hey, can hey. I just say how weird it was when you were, you were talking about they've been to Cambodia, but it was really random. That's like kind of saying they've been touring all over the UK, Leicester and Hull and Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did go to Cambodia on tour, right? Yeah, well, we, we, it's Southeast Asia has always been, for Westlife and Boys Zone, was always a huge uh, successful market for us. As you well know, Miss Thornton, as you came over there to see us at one stage. Keith, I am so flattered and impressed that you can remember the night in Indonesia because well, you, you fill in the blanks, right? As I remember it, I came over to do something with you guys on tour in Indonesia somewhere. We went to a very polite nightclub where everybody danced politely. It was 
it was very quiet in there and we were, I believe, quite smashed. And then the next thing I remember is being in the back of a pickup truck, which I think you hotwired singing Love Machine. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised myself. I mean, there's so many things that my kids show me on the internet, on YouTube and stuff that I have absolutely no recollection of <laughs> at all. But for some reason, I remember driving around Jakarta in Indonesia, sitting in the back of a pickup truck with you, singing of just a love machine. And I don't know who was driving, whether it was Shane or Ronan, but I know it wasn't our truck. We shouldn't have been driving and we certainly shouldn't have been singing out the back of it at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> As I recall, you hotwired that pickup truck. Allegedly. Allegedly. Rainy. Well, I, I'd never admit to anything like that. And then we were driving around singing I'm Just a Love Machine and the police pulled us over. <laughs> and it turned out, thank God, there were massive Boyzone fans <laughs> and we got let off. Is that, is that your recollection? Yeah, I don't remember the police part. I don't remember the hot wiring part because that's not, like, you know, flight. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember driving around some part of uh, Jakarta. I think it was Jakarta. I'm not sure. But there was another time. I don't know whether it was the same night that we broke into a shopping mall and we, and we got chased by security across an ice rink. <laughs> that's right. Why? Do you remember that? Why did we break into an ice rink? I'm, but I'd just like to add that, you know, we don't advocate this behaviour. I, I, I would imagine there might have been one or three glasses of wine involved, Kate. <laughs> yeah, and no thought-provoking questions. Jeez, um, <laughs> that was good fun, wasn't it? Well, we all lived to tell the tale and no crimes were committed because there's no police records to back it up. Yeah, well, this is it. But in your introduction, you said, colleague since 98. I go, hang on a minute, I know Kate since 90-fucking-three. No, you <laughs> two have really, been caught. I didn't realise you were talking about us. I thought, oh, I'll never wait with that one. <laughs> Yeah, I have known you an awfully long time, have I not? Um, which is lovely. Yeah. And you still look gorgeous as ever. As do you, Duster. As oh, do you. Do you remember the old nickname, good girl yourself? <laughs> and Brian, I've known you a long time as well, but you two didn't come into each other's sphere really until Boy, Boy Zone sort of took Westlife on tour like the interns. Well, I actually met both of you probably around the same time because when... When Westlife started, we obviously started as Boys Don't Support Act. You were yeah. also brought into to BMG at the time. Um, I think it was Louis Walsh brought you in to do our to do Westlife's media training. Remember that? It wasn't for so much media training. It was to get you ready to do a smash hits piece. Yeah, it was something like that. But it was to yeah. basically try and make us speak English because we weren't very good at. It was trying to it was trying to teach you how to talk so people could understand your Irish accent. I don't think it was actually meant for me. I think it was more meant. It was more. It was like the fellas from the west side of the country. Yeah. You just blow down with talking fellas because people in England haven't a clue what you're saying. People in England, I never knew what they were fucking saying. <laughs> I never knew what Louis was saying apart from when we got to the end of a phone call and then it was just a like a, a sort of rap version of goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Yeah, no, we, they all, all, all mammies in Ireland do that. Goodbye, bye, 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 bye. See it, see it, see it, bye, 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 bye. All the mammies in Ireland, that's brilliant. Do they? <laughs> Is that right? Oh, the mummies. Yeah, bye, 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 son, bye, son. Yeah, bye, 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 bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up on some of that stuff with you in a little while. But before we do, I wanted to talk about because I haven't spoken to you both since you started this venture, and it is like I'm, I hope you didn't take it as an insult. It is like a cut and shut version of the two bands that that you presided over for so long, I and mean, the huge catalogue of hits as well. Uh, quite a smart move on your part. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, we, we got together. Myself and Brian met back in 2016 on the golf course, as we did over the years. And um, Brian told me that it was coming up to Christmas and he was doing a big show in Whelan's in Dublin, um, which is a really credible rock venue in Ireland. And to go from like being in a boy band to going in there with your, with your acoustic guitar, your live band, and, you know, singing your own songs that you had recorded and written yourself, it was, it was quite an achievement. I was very, very impressed. Um, so myself and a few of my buddies and my son actually and his mates and, and my mates because um, we all hang around together now we're so young um, we all headed <laughs> in to see Brian's um, we went to see Brian's show uh, I'd just come off doing six months in the West End um, in Trafalgar Studios I was doing a play there called A Handful of Stars a Billy Roach play so i just come off doing that and met Brian and went to a show in Dublin and he blew the roof off the place we had a great night um, sitting backstage over a, a pint of Guinness or two as you do um, Brian said to me, "What are you up to?" And, and I was in the, in the, in the trolls of, of writing like a, an autobiographical show, a live show. I mean, I'd been approached as Brian had over years 
by various publishing companies about writing writing a book, writing a story of of, of my experience in the in the pop world for twenty five years or whatever. Um, and I never really fancied. I mean, I had some great stories, but I preferred to tell them rather than than people read them out. You know, I I never even considered doing an audio book. Um, so um, Brian asked me. I told him. I said. I'm uh, I'm thinking of uh, going on the road as a one man show. It's the only thing I haven't really done, uh, and the the fear of being on my own on stage for for an hour and a half or two hours, you know, uh, talking and singing. I said scares the the bejesus out of me. So I said I, I like that scare factor. I like the fear of of, of theater, of live theater, and I like the, the the idea of this. And he said, "What are you going to talk about?" I said, "Well, just." stories of, of experiences of being in the band like you said earlier performing with Pavarotti performing with the Bee Gees performing with Joe Cocker BB King just all the different people that we got to meet and perform with over the years and, and tell the story from our perspective you know how we felt as you know hard working class Irish lads after jumping into the pop world and our lives changing overnight so we, I just thought it would be a, a, a great show and, and Brian agreed he said geez, that's a fantastic idea I'd love to do something like that and I said well hang on I don't want to do it on my own. I'd hate to go and tour on my own. We'd have more fun together. <laughs> can't, you can't play golf on your own, can you? So, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so we, we decided to uh, we decided to team up and do it together. So we rewrote the show and we, we put in all his his uh, stories from Westlife, mine from Boyzone. We did a few songs from Boyzone, a few songs from Westlife. We sold out in four hours. Literally the whole tour sold out in four hours. We put part two on three nights into the first show and that sold out. Um, and then it organically grew into more of a concert. Um, um, just to correct you, we might have had 55 million worldwide sales. I think 50 million of them were Westside and 5 million were Boys All, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but we've had, we've had over 20 number ones between 20. us. Again, that's probably, you know, again, that's probably, you know, 14 or 15 Westlife and 6 Boys All. But nevertheless, we're, we're a collective item now. Yeah. Um, be, being a collective item means we've got something like four or five ex-wives as well, which is great. Most of them Brian's. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just share everything with Brian. He shares everything with me. Good, good and bad, you know. And Brian, how have you been? I haven't spoken to you in so long. Is life treating you kind? Life is great, yeah. I'm enjoying what we're doing now. You know, it's, it's, it's much more fun doing it this way because we don't work as much. We kind of go and do shows. You know, a few shows a week, that's kind of, you know, most of the time. And then the rest of the time, we're just home with our families and enjoying life. So I think we're, we're kind of really appreciating what we get to do now. You know, it never feels like a chore. It never feels like work, um, which is probably something that we both felt, I think, in the early days of, of Westside and Boyzone, that it had got to be in a job rather than something that you should be really appreciating and loving. So we're, we're taking it all in now. We're, we're traveling around the world and we're excited to go to places, you know, the likes of Australia, Southeast Asia, Africa and places. We actually get excited now. and We don't just go and do concerts there. We actually spend some time in the places and, and take it all in. Um, and and we, we rob trucks and drive around the town <laughs> screaming out the back of them. <laughs> Break into ice skating rinks for no reason. I go, I go sliding across on our arse. But he's all, he's also a daddy again. Yeah, is, I know. I was just about to get to that. I was going to say, and then my personal life is, is brilliant. They've got a new baby. Well, she's not new. She's nearly two now, but... Yeah, so we're 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 really enjoying the the balance of life at the moment between work and and home. I bet that's I bet that's so different doing it second time around, Brian. Because the, when when um, Lily and Molly were born, you were you were a child yourself, really, um, yeah. and in the throes of a crazy international schedule. Well, I, I was younger than both of them, and out when I had them. Wow. Yeah, so they're older yeah. than I was when they were born, which is great. But my my son is now older than I was leaving Boyzone, but Boyzone broke up. <laughs> oh no way! Yeah, I, wow. I uh, Boyzone broke up at the end of '99 into 2000, and I was 26 at the time, 26, 27, and my son Jay is 27 next month. So like, it's Shut it's up. bizarre. Is he that old? Jeez. And how's, yeah, your, how's yeah. your daughter? Is she good? Mia is wonderful. She's absolutely. She's twenty three. She was twenty three last Saturday. Um, wow. We were over, we we went over to Disney World. She loves Mickey Mouse and she loves Disney. So um, we brought her for her birthday over to uh, to Disney World. She she works now for um, an Amer American pharmaceutical company. She's she coding and doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, she wow, got her, okay. her bachelor's of science out of Dublin City University and she's working for a big American firm. So she's doing absolutely fantastic. Considering, you know, obviously for those that don't know, my daughter has autism and um, she was non-verbal until she was seven years of age. And, you know, we, we, we fought for years and years to get the appropriate intervention, the appropriate education. And, and we succeeded, thank God. And she, and she worked very, very hard herself and she sets the bar very high for herself. 
and uh, wow. she's a, the most beautiful human being. She's a gorgeous girl, and um, she works really, really hard in front of a computer screen. So when she got a week off over her birthday, um, I rang Brian. I said, Brian, I'm taking a week out. I'm ringing my daughter to see Mickey Mouse. So uh, I only got back in yesterday. Oh, do you know what? That's so lovely to hear, Keith. I can't believe how far she's come because you and Lisa fought so hard to get the support and to keep hope alive, right? We just had Ken Bruce on the show. Ken's son is uh, has just made a film with Chris Packham. He's um, uh, an autistic young man who is what they call pre-verbal uh, because he spoke once, so he doesn't want to call him non-verbal. Um, and he was able to make a film using an actor to read out his his views, thoughts, opinions, and illustrate how wow, he sees amazing. the world. It's amazing, um, and it's it's a it's a lifetime of work to just get to that. Um, and to start unlocking potential. Brilliant. Well, congratulations to you and Lisa in keeping keeping your paws up. And, and well, congratulations, congratulations to more Mia. To Mia she's, um, look she's, at that. She's a force to be reckoned with, and she has the most pure heart. Um, she's she's just a, a beautiful young lady, and uh, to see ah. to see the excitement on her face uh, on the she's afraid of nothing in a, in a, in, a, in Disneyland or Universal Studios. She's afraid of nothing. Every roller coaster, every ride. She actually yawns through through rides that Lisa was crying through. You know, what I mean? so she, she was yawning as Lisa was literally screaming for her life. You know, <laughs> that's brilliant. Okay, boys, are you ready for question number one? In the 90s, Steps, who'd recently been on the podcast, told us that the first time they'd had the money in their budget to hire a tour bus, uh, the bus that they got had been used before by Boyzone. And that on that bus, you'd left behind a little something. You'd left your sunbed, a full-blown solarium. So my question is, is that true? And can we revisit some of the other things you did, said or used to do in the 90s that people no longer do and maybe should? Oh, yeah, yeah. We had one of the beds, because you know, it was 14 bunk beds on a touring bus. So we didn't need the full 14 bunks because there was only five of us in the band. We had a tour manager, two security, a bus driver, and and possibly a couple of members of family at, at, at certain times. So there was always one or two beds that were never used. So we decided to get a sunbed company in and turn it into a sunbed. So when we're traveling from place to place, you can get on and get a nice tan so you turn up on stage, look great. Yeah, I remember, I remember. <laughs> but, I mean, that is so brilliantly 90s, right? That is that is just on the money in terms of defining that decade and, and, and the kind of pop music that you guys made. So I wondered, can we revisit some of the other things you did or said or used to do in the 90s that people no longer do? And maybe there's a case to bring some of them back. Maybe not the sunbeds on tour buses, you know, but... Well, the, the, pro the problem was if you get on the bus late at night after being out and you had a bit of a hangover when you woke up and you'd still have two or three hour drive left, you'd get a bit of a bed and lie in the sunbed because at least when you get there, you might be dying with a hangover, but you look great. <laughs> <laughs> As you no, it's not advisable to do a sunbed for three hours. Let me just say that. It's not advisable no, it's to do really sunbeds not. at all. Uh-uh. No, it's really not. But I guess for a 90s boy band where looks were everything and photo shoots were a daily occurrence, then was there a rotor for the sunbed? Like, did you fight over it? No, there was There was only a couple of us that liked to use it. I think it's very, very, very obvious who the two people that would have used that were. It would have been you and Shane Lynch. <laughs> Yeah, no, Mike was always a big fan of a sunbed. Yeah, I remember after one tour in Dublin, we'd just come home after playing all over the UK and Europe and we had a finished massive, massive gig in uh, in Dublin. And then Mikey had an after show party back at his house out, out, in, out in the country, out in North County, Dublin. And um, all our dancers were there, all our partners, everybody was there. It was a free house. Everybody was, it was just a great party night. But he had a sunbed room in his house. You sure that wasn't a backdoor <laughs> form? <laughs> but there was people all through the night disappearing. Going, Where were you? And they're coming back glowing, going, ah, oh, I just went to have five in a sunbed. <laughs> That's brilliant. What else happened in the 90s that no longer does, but you kind of miss? Month and 80. Uh, well, mobile phones now, everything's, everything's planned. I remember that 
the days of going, right, I'll meet you on Saturday and you'd, you'd say a place at a time and then you wouldn't speak to the person until you actually met them. Under, 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 underneath Cleary's clock in O'Connell Street. I mean, yeah. there at three o'clock. But now it's like people are like, oh, are we still on for Saturday? And then on Friday, like, we still on for tomorrow? And then they'll text you. Yeah, okay, I'll see you later on this afternoon. And they'll text you, go, just leaving the house now. See you in an hour. Yeah, about 10 <laughs> minutes away. It's like, oh, I'm here. And then five minutes there, are you enjoying yourself? And then you're sitting opposite them having lunch. And they send you a picture of the lunch going, this is the list. They're going, I'm looking at you, I can see. Um, but, but I think in the 90s, though, for the music business, what was so magical about the 90s was, you know, the pop world at the time was fantastic. We had the, the, the Smash It's Roadshow, which every pop group in the UK got together. Everybody was on the same tour bus. We played all the arenas from the top of Scotland right down to the bottom of the UK, bottom of England. It was great fun. You know, you had EYC, Bad Boys Inc., E17, Sean McGuire, PJ and Duncan, uh, who are obviously Anton Deck. You know, you had, you had, you had uh, those two girls, which was Denise Van Outen and, and somebody else. Um, I can't remember <laughs> who the somebody else was. Um, but every everybody turns together. And not only that, with music... You released your album. It was a hard copy that you went to HMV to buy or to Virgin Megastore yeah. to buy. You bought the album. You listened to every track. You listened. You put it in, the, in your CD player or in your cassette recorder tape back in 93. And you would listen to song one right through to song 12. So, you, you know, and every band that kind of put a story through the, you know, bands would sit down and decide what, Song should be number one, number two, number three, number four. And there was a story. There was a, it's like a movie. Yeah. It was like a movie for listening to the album, you know. And that was great about listening to music in the 90s. You'd listen, like, my favorite group was U2. So when I'd buy a new U2 album, I'd listen to it from start to finish over and over again. And you'd, you know, if I listen to those albums now, I know what next song is coming. I know what next song is coming. Today, the way the music is done, I mean, Brian and I have recorded our, we've written and recorded our own album, we've put it out there. And, you know, it's on all the platforms, on Spotify, um, um, Apple Music, all those things. But people just listen to maybe one or two songs of the album that is their favourite song. That might not necessarily have been a single. They just, they, they'll just listen to songs at random. So, so the journey of the album is gone. Nobody's going on the journey with song to song. They're just picking. And I think that that is, is a bad thing for the music business. I think it's bad for artists that have created this movie, this this kind of you know, journey and, and, and nobody's going on those journeys anymore, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, the way yes. bands, are, as, as bands are signed now is so different. It's literally A&R by data. It's looking at numbers of followers, listen through rates. And there's none of that. I mean, when you, well, there's very few Louis Walsh's walking around going, I'll have that one and that one and that one, please. And come on. Yeah, lads, because there's no, the because there's no money. That's why but the money's mm. gone out of the music industry. There's still money in, in doing live shows, but, you don't make money selling records because music is free. So you don't have the Louis Walsh's, the Simon Cowell's putting together pop groups and spending a lot of money, spending hundreds of thousands of working yeah. with producers like Max Martin or Steve Mack. Those days are gone. So you look now and the only people that are really getting signed are singer-songwriters. Like, look at the biggest artists on the planet at the moment. It's like Ed Sheeran, Louis Capaldi, Adele, Harry Styles. They're Taylor all Swift. singer-songwriters. There's no pop groups. The pop groups are gone. The day of that is now gone. Yeah. But you've got, you've got the K-pop, which is massive. Yeah, but in, in Europe, it's gone. And, and to be honest with you, if you look, that's why so many bands are getting back together because there's a huge hole there because there is no oh new God, groups yeah. coming out. That's why you've got Bewitched, Death yeah. Club, Seven, Steps, Boys On, Westlife, but Black Boys On, Boys Life. That's why there's so many. Even JLS got back together because there's no bands. You talked about, uh, Keith, you mentioned there, like um, going on the Smash Hits tour, which I know you both did. And I think the one that you were talking about was Sean Maguire. I think that was on my watch when I was the editor. And Sean Maguire on that tour, I've still got pictures of some of the things that we did to Sean Maguire on that tour. Sean is now a very successful, big Hollywood actor <laughs> doing great yeah, no, work no, in I, LA. I'm, still, I'm still great friends with Sean. I go and stay with him in LA. <laughs> and when, when I was over doing pilot season myself after I came out of Curry first. Um, and I lived with Sean and Sean coached me from my auditions every day in pilot season. So yeah, we're still still very much in touch. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, um, what the, the fairy tale thing he did? What was that called? Not a clue. So it was a big American show with, with all the kind of fairy tale characters. He played Robin Hood. And uh, once upon That's a time, right. um, what was it? Once upon a time, I think it was called. Uh, yeah, he done that for like ten years. He did another show for about ten years in front of a live audience. He's doing great. Uh, but we, yeah, we we did some nasty things to Sean when he was going on stage. We we put this big kabuki that said Sean McGuire upside down and backwards so the audience couldn't understand a word of it. Uh, 
you know we'd film him doing things really embarrassing things like when he'd had a few beers or whatever and then when we'd go into an arena to start sound check we'd put them up on the big screen yeah, to yeah. show everyone and we'd, we speed, we'd speed up his vocals so we sounded like something out of the Muppet show yeah and, and then we we took the windscreen wipers off his preview when it was snowing <laughs> so we could so he was late he got no sound check yeah, we we, we we all sorts of things to Sean. And it sounds like you're all fucking bullies to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, who else was on that tour? Was All Saints, but it was All Saints without the sisters. It was before the sisters joined the band. It was only yeah. It was it was Mel and Mel and, and Shaz. Yeah, yeah, it was just Shaz and Mel. Yeah, um, the t- sisters hadn't joined at that stage, so we'd done a tour with no. those girls. Yeah, and and then obviously oh. later when the when the when the sisters joined uh, Boys Own and All Saints, uh, we we did a lot of joint touring together around the, around Europe through when Louis got Louis, Louis Parker got rest them. Um Louis Parker was oh, yeah. was their agent and our agent and, and he put all sides and boys all together in various gigs all around Europe. Um so yeah it's it's, it's a crazy world. And um, Brian, what do you remember about 90s life that you kind of pine for? Um it's the same thing. I just the music industry is so different now. Um it's just such a good time to be in the industry. That's what he says, you know, everybody kind of, you would do TV shows together and hang out. And it was, it was proper. I suppose it was like what it was in the old days of Motown and, you know, and 70s was the same. And I think we kind of came at the very end of that community of pop music, you know, where we all knew each other. We all went out, we all did gigs, but we all, we all went out together afterwards and hung out. And it was a big old community. And I think we were pretty much the end of it. And I, I feel sorry for people that are successful now that they never got to enjoy that. Like there's so mm. many little things that were amazing about being in a pop group in the 90s. Like doing things like Top of the Pops, doing things like Blue Peter, uh, you know, Saturday morning television like CD UK. Yeah. It was the best. So exciting. They were so excited to do that. You'd always be excited to see the other acts and hang out. And, you know, it just seems like such a lonely business for these people now where they just, they just go out, they do their touring, they put out the music. There's nowhere for them to really you know, enjoy their their success. Even the Brit Awards is crap now. All those things are just gone to pots. Oh, we yeah, used to so much fun at the Brits. It was yeah. brilliant. But you see, you, know, you, you, you like you take that, you boys own, you'd West like those pop groups. But then you had Blur, you had Oasis, you had yeah, you had the indie rock bands. You know, it was so interesting the music back then. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, I, was, I just saw an interview recently about about uh, the Oasis. I mean, it's such a crime that the two brothers just don't make up and go back on the road. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if you'd stayed put, you two? And, well, I mean, Keith, you did. But, Brian, you left quite early on in, in Westlife's story. Yeah, but not really because, you know, it's different because Oasis, I'm talking about writing songs. We didn't really write songs. So if I'd have stayed, it probably would have been the exact same as what they did anyway. You know, I don't think anything would have changed. I don't think their paths or their creativity changed when I left. It probably stayed exactly where it was going to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're quite right. It was, and you went on to start writing as well outside of the well, group. Well, I didn't write in West. You wrote in the group as well. The but... stuff was written by Steve Mack and by the Swedes. So the single. Right? You say the Swedes, right? Um, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to um, work with Max Martin, and I know you both know Max Martin, right? Do you know him, Keith? Yeah, 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 yeah. Max done so, a few of our stuff. Yeah. So Max is, um, I mean, like for, for, the, for the listener, uh, Max is. Um, after Lennon and McCartney, the most successful, well, certainly after Paul McCartney, the most successful living songwriter on the planet right now. And you were there at the infancy mm-hmm. of his songwriting career. Um, what was it like working with somebody that's gone on to have, I mean, like his hits are enormous. His songbook is huge. And most of his right. songs have been kind of incorporated into the musical and um, and Juliet, which is kind of a modern day yep. take on Romeo and Juliet. But how, how did, because um, he's, he's, he's a super lovely guy, but very unassuming yeah he's very down to earth he's very quiet very shy um and it's amazing because he comes from from a rock world you know he he spent his whole life and career in rock bands and even like i mean heavy dirty heavy metal bands um but he just had this incredible uh he just incredible way of understanding what a pop song was and you know i think the best way of explaining what max martin is is he is the one that created 90s pop music you know even for bands like boyzone and westlife and one Direction and Blue and all the people that came after what Max Martin created you know it all comes from what he started which is you look at the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC you know not only did he create that 90s pop sound but he was able to adapt it and develop it and turn it into what became then 2000s pop with Katy Perry and Taylor Swift and all those people and it just seems that 
people look to Max Martin to see what's going to be the next thing. You know, what's the next sound that every artist is going to aspire to do? He did it in the 90s. He developed it in the 2000s. And, and you know, right now he's probably coming up with what's going to be next. Yeah. Yeah. And he runs his um, operation out of Los Angeles, like the old Motown um, yeah. model so it's a house full of writers and yeah. producers well they he did that in Sweden as well that's how he started in Sheeran yeah. Studios in Sweden him and Dennis Pop um, mm. Dennis is uh, was Dennis guy, was an old rocker as well right well yeah the two of them I said they started it together it was it was Max and Pop together um, and then when Dennis died then that's when Max kind of had the whole idea for Sheeran and he just brought in all these incredible songwriter producers and, and you look at the hits that have been written just from that place forget about what Max wrote Look at what that house row. And I don't know if you've ever been to Sheeran Studios, but it, you literally walk in the door and upstairs is just, there's like four sitting rooms with PlayStations and snooker chair, pool tables and air hockey and all that. And you walk in and it's just, you'll have Britney Spears over here, Backstreet Boys over here, you'll have somebody else over here. And everyone's just sitting, hanging out. And then downstairs, there's like five massive studios, all the same size. And you'll have a, a world-class producer in each one working on all these different bands. And they're all happening at the same time. Incredible. As um as two lads from Ireland, when you're in that environment, how does that feel? Do you you know how do you, how do you adapt to to those environments, especially as young men? Well, it was it was more difficult for me, I think, than Brian because um we were young boys that needed to be complimented, we needed to be reassured, and we needed to be championed. We didn't need to be pushed to the back and told we weren't needed. Um, and that's what happened in the early days in Boys Zone. So when you did get an opportunity or a chance to go in with a producer and sit down and to, and to write uh, and to record, you know, singing is all about understanding your voice. It's about confidence. It's about breathing. It's about, you know, knowing what to do. And if, you know, if some people are natural born singers like Brian, you know, some people just can get up in the morning and, and whatever they sing in the shower, you could actually record and put it on a tape. You know, but people like me, you have to spend six hours warming up and then you'll only get three minutes of it and then it's shite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but my experience now, since in the last six years, um, you know, in the last couple of years in Boys Zone, Ronan was a great coach. Um, and then bringing us up to modern day when, when I've been in the studio with Brian. Brian, like before Boys Life even started, Brian and I sat down and Brian basically did vocal coaching with me for, for nearly eight months sitting around the laptop doing line by line, sometimes in some songs doing words by words to try and educate me and to, to, to bring me around from being a backing singer to be a lead singer and, and breathing exercises and warm-up exercises. And, and then we went into the studio and I felt so much more confident and felt so much more assured. Um, for the first time ever, I liked what I heard back when I went into this uh, recording booth and I came back and listened to what I just recorded. For the first time, I liked my own voice. I thought, wow, that sounds great. I'm really happy with that. And that never happened in Boys On. So it's, it's you know, it's a difficult process. It's still a stressful one for me, but it's one now that I'm starting to enjoy an awful lot more because of the, the I suppose, the help, the training and, and the, the compliments and, and the, you know, the, the vibe I get from Brian. Um, has Keith gone for a wee? Not for a wee wee. Brilliant. Listen, you, listen. We, once you get past 40, age. you can't sit for an hour doing an interview. You say, yeah, you have to understand that wee breaks are, are essential. <laughs> yes, we're gonna have to, we have to wear nappies on stage because we're gone for two hours. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Question number two. I talked about a lot. No, you just you just broke the oh, chair and fell on the ground. <laughs> Oh, you're great. Come on, we're working these. See, we're playing golf, everyone. Now he's making an excuse that he hurts these, so when I beat, I has an excuse. Yeah. I can't believe you just did that. You're going to be charged for that. Uh, okay, that's good. You all right? I was, sit- I was sitting on the luggage uh, uh, holder ah. in the bedroom at a stop. <laughs> Must have been your excess luggage that did that. Not your excess bike. It's a bit of a take on the uh, throwing the telly out the window, isn't it? Now we're going to have to have a half an hour cheek each on this chair. Question number two. We've talked a lot about your success, and success can often be easy, and very often can teach us little by way of comparison to maybe the more challenging and difficult times life puts in our path. So, what life lessons have presented you with the biggest bumps in the road, and what have they taught you? For me, I would say uh, neglecting your family and, and your friends for work. Yeah, definitely in the Westlife days, you know, we were just gone the whole time. And for some reason, we were made to believe in our head that everything to do with work was far more important than anything else. And every single thing that you did was too important. Um, and I'll never forget one of the worst things ever was uh, when I was in Westlife and we went to America. And it was our first time to try and break America. We were we had a couple of big TV shows to do. And I remember Mark's granddad passed away and he wanted to go home for the funeral. And I remember the record company basically telling us that we couldn't miss that TV show. But it was too big. We, you can't go home. You have to stay. And it always stays with me. And, and I think back to, to and not just in Westside, but I'll be honest as well, even when I went solo for a bit, um, all of a sudden there was so many times when things were too important to for work-wise that, that you kind of chose it over your family and when i look back mm. now i go no show no tv show no gig no nothing is ever bigger than your family and friends and, and it, it took me a long time to realize that and it's my one regret uh, of the the years that i was in westside was that that i did kind of put put my work way 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 above my family and friends which i shouldn't do and i think we've learned now that the most important thing is for us is now family and and our home life and, and work works around that. Yeah. Your priorities are right. Well Yeah. What about you, Keith? What have been the biggest challenges? Um well for me it's 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 different because um I was the first kind of boy bander to uh, become a daddy. Um mm. back in ninety six. Um that was a scary time because we got together in ninety three. We only really started travelling to the UK in in mid 94 uh, the real success started in 95 and that's when the growth started to happen um you know coming into 90 uh, it was the it was the end of coming up to the end of 95 when we our, our album went straight into the charts at number one and in top of the pops the only time you get to perform on top of the pops if your song is not in the top three um, is if your album goes straight in at number one and you can pick a random tra- uh, album track to to be played to, to perform on Top of the Pops. And once you perform on Top of the Pops on a Thursday night, your album or your song went through the roof. Yeah. You know, that was kind of going to staple in your number one. Um, and by chance, by by complete coincidence and chance, we decided out of 13 or 14 tracks that were on that album, um, we decided the song that we were going to, to, to sing was Father and Son. Um, we'd one mobile phone between the five of us and it, it, it wasn't a mobile phone as we know them today. It was a big block 
Um, and a battery that went around her neck with a strap. It was a Motorola. Yeah, it's probably Motorola. I mean, <laughs> like a handbag. Yeah, we, well, we used to have to take turns carrying it. It was too fucking heavy. Um, but our tour manager, Mark Flunky, used to give us terrible stick. He goes, why the fuck are you boys paying for a mobile phone? So nobody's ever going to ring it. None of your mates have them. <laughs> you know, who are you going to ring? Um, but anyway, this, this, this particular day um, in, in, in Top of the Pops, um, the phone rang. And it was Lisa that back in Dublin telling me that, that she was pregnant, that she's going to have a baby, you know, and um, that my life changed that day. You know, we were we were we were kind of starting on the on the, the brink of, of, you know, superstardom traveling around the world. And, you know, I was going to be a daddy. So um, it was it was it was an amazing, emotional time. Um, uh, nine months later, I was father of a son, which is kind of ironic. Um but yeah, it, ch- it changed my direction then for 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 a while, and then obviously media came. My boys on so, like kind of decided to take a year off at the end of ninety nine two thousand, which developed the seven years. Um, Mia was born in two thousand, and obviously we spoke earlier on. Mia, Mia had autism, so um, I suppose for me, having a family so young and me being so immature at the time, what di- didn't lend itself to each other very well. And if if you believe me, because uh, this is what I figured out myself. I was actually quite a shy person in the 90s and I didn't like being shy. I liked being, I liked the idea of being an extrovert rather than an introvert. So what I did to disguise that was I was very boisterous. I was very loud. I came across overconfident. Um, and as a result, people believed that that was who I was. But really, it was all hiding a shyness that I didn't realize till years later. Um, but But I suppose to get to the point was... I used to answer every question trying to be funny without thinking what the question was, without thinking about what I was saying before I said it, um, taking things out of context, trying to be funny, um, when things shouldn't have been taken out of context. A lot of things are serious, a lot of things people take very serious, you know, and it affects people's lives in a serious manner. And for you to make light of that or to make fun of that or to try to be funny in that moment is wrong. And we didn't get any media training. We weren't you know, kind of educated on how to hold ourselves. We were young 18, 19 year old boys and we were being asked questions on current affairs about the state of the world at certain times, about, you know, serious politics. And because we were being asked these questions, we believed we must have the knowledge to be able to answer them. And and we didn't. And we made light of them and I made light of them. And I just think looking back now, if I was to give my younger self any advice, it would be to know you know, you know, have the filters, know your audience, understand, you know, listen to the questions that are being asked of you. Think of your answer before you answer it. And I suppose just think before you speak in, in a nutshell, think before you speak and know your surroundings. What about the challenges of reinvention? Because you had a bit like footballers, the most successful years of your career before you'd even looked at your 30th birthday. And then you have to carry on. You have to reinvent. And, you know, Brian, for you, you did that on the other side of the world. Keith, you went to Manchester and spent 10 years in Coronation Street. I mean, big leaps. Yeah, I don't think we we ever reinvented. I think, you know, we go through stages of your life and you just, your career kind of follows your age. You know, I think after I left Westlife, I knew that musically for me, I had to, to kind of follow my age I couldn't still do the same thing and everything goes like that your style and the way you talk and everything grows with you um, so I don't think we've ever really reinvented ourselves we've just kind of adapted with ourselves getting older and our lives changing you know Whereas that's what I think personally anyway I don't think I've ever sat there and gone right I need to completely reinvent myself I think I've just we've just naturally progressed to where we are today yeah, no, I'm 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 a different story, you know, because Brian was always a guitar player, a songwriter, singer. Whereas when Boyzone broke up, I was kind of left in the desert. I didn't know where to go or what to do. Ronan, Stephen, and Mikey all signed solo deals. Myself and Shane weren't even approached or asked or offered one. So I really have a single together though. We, we, yeah, later on, myself and Shane brought out a song, taking the piss out of us. It was a Milli Vanilli song, <laughs> and I was I, I suppose over all of the years of the press and the media. <laughs> Like and Shane and I say we never sang a note. We thought let's well, the best thing to bring out would be a mini Vanity song who never sang a note either. Um, uh, we, we, we had great fun with that. that. You know. We done the Splashes Roadshow and everything. They'll be Shane together. You know, the West Life Low Go and Get Your Own Life. We, we, we had a, a rap in the middle going, West Life Low Life, go and get your own life. Look into my eyes and see. You know, um, when, when the going gets tough, 
the puff got going. I got something to tell you. <laughs> so uh, we kind of slagged off everybody in it. We ripped off boy bands off everybody. We got slated for it. I think it went in charts at 34 or something like that. But, um, <laughs> it was uh, it was a disaster. But yeah, no, technically it. My 40 is yeah, 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 34. It's technically, I, 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 I only read that yesterday. With my my kids, Jay and me, have shown me videos of me singing. Like the Pavarotti story, I completely forgot about that until Jay showed it to me online one day. He said, Dad, I didn't know you sang in Modlin with Pavarotti. He went, Made it a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I think at the time, it's all so fast and furious. You ju- it just is a blur, isn't it? There must be a lot of big moments that you've forgotten or have to revisit on YouTube. But just to finish your question, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do then. And that's mm. I just knew I had a familiar face. People knew who I was. So I just thought I have to get into TV. I have to be a presenter. I have to, I have to figure out, you know, just stay on TV for now until I figure out what I'm going to do. I was always very intrigued and interested in acting. I was always in uh, amateur dramatics as a kid growing up, um, in local productions and stuff like that. So, um, you know, get, going into Curry for me was a huge reinvention, a huge reinvention, and it was a whole new discipline because all of a sudden you're coming from being your own boss in a boy band, traveling around the world doing your own thing. To have it to be in work and time, to know your lines, to having a boss, having many bosses, having to answer to people, having to be on the pecking order. Um, you know, it was a huge discipline I had to learn, you know, and it was a great experience. I mean, my time in Cory was amazing. The people I met, the people I worked with, still great friends with them today. I went back time and time again because the producer at the time used to let me out to, to tour with Boyzone and then would take me back after the tour was over. So it was, it was a great time for me. And then obviously it gave producers and directors and casting directors... Mm-hmm. Uh, confidence to hire me to do theatre shows and I ended up doing touring all across Ireland and in, in, in theatre shows on the West End from once on end you know so coming back to Boys Life was an amazing experience for me coming back to the music business like I said doing the vocal training with Brian getting out on stage singing the lead vocals for the first time in every song and um, what we're doing together now we absolutely love you know the audience love it we love it it's going great Um big club coming now in May we're on tour again all around the UK don't worry I've got it covered, boys. Yeah. You're doing... And the thing is, you don't just put on a couple of shows. You do major tours and you're... I mean, you're shifting a lot of tickets. A lot of tickets. Yeah, we're very lucky. We're very lucky 30 years later. Like, Boys Don't started 30 years ago this year. Um, we did a 25-year anniversary tour called Thank You and Good Night. And we made a pact with each other that that was it. That was Thank You and Good Night. We're not going to do any more. Um, I wasn't quite sure. We, you know, it, it'll be October this year when we when we when we got together the thirtieth, uh, the I think it was like the fourth of October twenty uh, nineteen ninety three. So, it'll be thirty years. Um, I have spoken to Ron about the idea of just doing a one off show, just one show. Just what do you say? Just do a really really nice one show for the dedicated fans that still want to see us. Not a tour. Uh, Brian and I are way too busy for me to take time off to do a tour. But I can't believe that Ron that Ron said no. He's like, I don't care about the fans. Can't believe he said that. <laughs> he did not say don't that. Care, don't care. <laughs> what did Ronan say? Yeah, no, Ronan thought it was a great idea. He said, "Look, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure everybody would be up for doing it. Um, you can read into that what you will. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's not a dead idea. There's, st- there's still, there's, st- there's still talks, still ideas of, of a one, a one-off show. Um, guys, thank you for that. Really interesting to hear about your life lessons. Are you ready for your third and final question? Yes, ma'am. We're speaking the day after St. Patrick's Day and A, I'm amazed that you're coherent and B, (laughs) alive, not drunk in a ditch. Um, What I wanted to know for question number three, uh, what are the things that you do or have done or say or still say or traditions that you uphold that are inherently Irish, the stuff that only Irish people say and do and believe well i think just being irish in general is is something that never leaves you you know you see so many people that come out of ireland whether they be actors or footballers or musicians or politicians or whatever businessmen even businessmen you meet in dubai and stuff and they never change they're all with the irishness is always there you know yeah. and all these little things the way they speak the way they act even the the foods they eat it never changes like, you know i remember 
even when I lived in Australia, I was surrounded by a lot of Irish people. They never bloody changed. They're, they still have their fried breakfast in the morning. They're still very picky about what they drink. Their clothes, even though... They're picky the the about what they drink. But even they can't suck it out of a sock. What do you think? You know what I mean? They, they, won't, they won't try Australian beer. They're like, I wouldn't drink that shit. No, 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 no. I'll stick to me old text. I'll stick to me old. They would if there was no nails in the room. Well, like, even clothes, like, even down in Australia, they still wear bloody white socks with sandals. They're sandals. You know yeah. what I mean? They don't, wear, they don't wear the sandals on their own. They still have to wear the socks with the matches. I can't get the clothes out, yeah. no. So, I think that is, for me, you know, Irish people never change when they leave Ireland. They always no, it's keep the matches. The funniest thing, we, you know, obviously we've changed because we got the opportunity of travelling all over the world and experiencing different cultures and living in different places, but... A lot of most Irish people, they're going holidays to Spain or to Portugal or maybe maybe the States, maybe further afield. But any Irish people that you meet on holiday, the first thing they look for is an Irish bar. Yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? Somewhere to get an Irish breakfast. Yeah. Go, where can you get the best Irish breakfast? You're on holidays in Italy. Could you not go to an Italian bar and have some pasta? Keep go into that shop there and see to do the Irish sun. Go <laughs> to see what's going on at home. We only got here today. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's unbelievable we just don't like change we like to keep everything exactly the same and oh great Dolores look there's an Irish bar remember the where that is now on the way out tonight <laughs> you know what I mean it's so I, I bet you they have Guinness on tap in there now it won't be the same as at home it doesn't travel well but it'll be grand it'll do M Mrs Doyle portrayed a great father's head you know what I mean if I bring anybody home you know, it's like in their disposition with an, an Irish mammy. They'll go out and they'll make two fucking trays of sandwiches. They'll have a pot of stew probably on the stove. And it went, are you hungry? Are you are? You are. You, you have something small. Are you will? You will. Would you like a cup of tea? I go on, go on, go on. Actually, sure, here's a few sandwiches I made earlier on. Sure, go on. They're only going to go to waste. You get another one in. Do you like a piece of cake? Yeah, I make this yesterday. Sure. It's only going to go in the bin. You might go on, go on, go on. You'll have another cup of tea. Will you have a bonus stew? You must be starving. Look at you. And then that's the other thing. Every time you come home, even if we feel like we put on weight, we come home and your mother's like, Jesus, you're not eating you over there at all. Have they no food in England at all? You're not eating nothing. We could go home, we could go home two stone heavier and your mother would still say, you're not eating right. Jesus Christ, have you no food over there? You need a good meal inside you. A good meal inside you. <laughs> and then out comes the sandwich. The staff are it's the same thing when you you know you have, you have a family wedding, you know, and the your your auntie your auntie auntie Patricia comes along, you know, and say, Auntie Patricia, what would you like to drink? Oh no, I'm off to drink. I'll just have a double bailey. <laughs> <laughs> what about can we talk about the way I the Irish do death? Because it's very different to the way we Great crack. We love we love death in Ireland. The only difference between a wedding and a funeral in Ireland is one guest. That's it. <laughs> This is exactly right. So a the very father, good friend the bride of mine is, is Irish. <laughs> so, so she's just buried her grandmother. And my God, it was like a three-day party. It was brilliant, the way that they celebrated her life. It was extraordinary. You Here, someone dies. We all cry, obviously, because it's sad. But it's, it's done in an afternoon. With some, no, with the with and crack. weeks as well. You think the players are supposed to say, the problem with the UK is when somebody dies... It's weeks before you have a funeral. Yeah. If nobody yeah. died today in Ireland, today is what day is today? Saturday, is it? Yeah. You'd be, yeah. right, be buried on Monday. You got to church on Sunday night, you'd be buried on Monday. Holding right. it out, when my dad died, unfortunately, about a year ago, um, my yeah, son I'm was away. Yeah, i to hear that, Keith. I'm yeah, sorry no, thank you. That. It was a really, really hard, difficult time. But my son was away working and he couldn't get home. So we, we postponed the funeral by a day or two days. And it was torture because it, it, it prolongs the, the, that hard grief. Yeah. You can't really start grieving until the funeral, until the acceptance of the passing. And then you start to kind of get into the grieving process. But the, the whole process is prolonged. It doesn't start. Uh, the longer you delay the funeral, I feel, you know, you get some closure at the funeral and you could start to maybe mourn. But you can't mourn until the funeral. And in the UK, if somebody in love dies, they take weeks to bury them. I was like, yeah. come on, like, it's so difficult because I, I lost my dad and I know how difficult that is. And one of our musicians lost their dad and, and they were waiting so long for the funeral. I was, I was saying to him, how are you getting up every day? How are you dealing with it? I wouldn't have been able to deal with this waste. Mm -hmm. got to get oh. yeah. And also, I mean, the way you do it is so different. You keep the body at home in an open casket so that people can go in and spend time with their loved one and pay their respects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad was laid at home in his living room. In his, in my dad had his own partner in the house and and it was his parlor, and myself and my brother, we we, we stayed in the room for the. He, he got home, brought home on the morning, the day before the funeral, 
and we slept in on the floor in in his parlor with him all night uh, until the next morning, and 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 we and uh, and then we brought him to the to the church. You know, I mean that's you sit around the you sit around the coffin, you tell yarns, you tell stories, you drink whiskey, you cry, you laugh, you sing. You know, it's it's a celebrate the, the the wake in Ireland is great fun. People are coming in and out the door all day. The doors left open. You know, people come pay their respects. People that you don't even know are coming in. You know, and you don't even ask any questions. It's, it's you know, people come in just to get the free egg mayonnaise sandwiches. The egg mayonnaise sandwiches cost me. You know. Well, when my friend recently buried a grandmother, over a thousand people turned up for the funeral. Well, that lady and she left some legacy behind her. Then she must have had a big will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot of grand great grandchildren uh, over forty, over forty uh, great grandchildren. How old was yeah. she when she died? Uh, she was she was she was in her nineties, I believe. Right, in nineties. Okay. Yeah, so she'd lived. But I'd, you know, when you look at that, you go, "Wow, one woman has created like an empire." Yeah. Uh, by yeah. way of a family. And the women of those days are real matriarchs. You know, you wouldn't cross them. They keep the family together. There'd be no falling out between siblings. There'd be no falling out between cousins. You remain like the blood in your system is is very important. Families stick together and, and, and the, the women, the matriarchs of the family, make sure that family stays together. A lot more than the father, a lot more than the patriarch. The matriarchs are much stronger. Women are much stronger in the later years than men are. They're the CEOs, aren't they, of the family? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Do it all the, for all the years that I work with Louis, um, and you tell me if, you, if, if you've had this experience, but the way he would talk about his mother, he's like one of nine children, yeah? And he'd talk about his mother like she was frail and old. Ah, me mammy, me mammy. And for years, I just thought, oh, poor Louis's mum, like she's just probably in a rocking chair and wrapped in a shawl somewhere. And then one day she turns up at the X Factor, she's like bloody Scylla Black, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah. His, mother, right? <laughs> his mother was a lovely lady. Years and years ago, after Boyzo went away from Ireland and had all our success in, in foreign territories and everything else, we came back to do a gig in uh, Kilchima, in uh, where Louis grew up. It's in the Midlands in Ireland, in Mayo. It's in the middle of nowhere. It takes 10 hours to drive no from way. Ireland, but that's an exaggeration. Because if you drove 10 hours from Dublin, you'd end up in the Atlantic Ocean. But um, Kilchima, and we're down, and we're out. I think there's a, there's a place called Supermax, which is like a McDonald's, an Irish McDonald's. And they're in every little kind of town and village around the set, the center of Ireland. And I think we're outside Supermax. The boys, and we had seen Louis for ages and ages. It was months and months because he never came on the road with us. Louis would always base himself in his office in Dublin. Um, but like you said, he had nine brothers and sisters. I think three of his brothers were guards in the police force or the guards as we know them in Ireland. And his sisters owned the bakeries and blah, 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 blah. You know, and they're a well-known family. The Walsh family are well-known in Kilshimach. And we're outside Supermax getting a burger or something. I think it was Supermax. It might have been something else. And this guard comes over and explains that he's Louis's brother and that Louis's mother would love to meet us. And we said, well, we'd love to meet her because he'd always kept his family away from us. So the tour bus went down to Louis's family home where he grew up, where he slept. There was two bedrooms of the brothers and sisters. There was a three-bedroom, I think a three-bedroom house. A big, a big house. The bedrooms had three double beds. The boys' bedroom had three double beds in it. But anyway, we went to the house. His mother cooked us all a big Irish fried breakfast. Louis had no idea we were there. He, had, he hadn't arrived. He was coming down on his own in his car later on that day. We hid the tour bus around the back of the house. We were all knackered and jet lagged. We, we got well fed by his mother. And she says, the lads, if he's are tired, you go on into the room, the boys room there and have a sleep. And the five of us went up to Louis's <laughs> boyhood uh, bedroom. And we all got into bed and we went to sleep. And about five o'clock in the evening, there's a knock at the door. Louis sent his mother, Louis's mother sent him up to the bedroom. She said, I was surprised for you up in the bedroom. He had no idea. And Louis went up to his, his, his boyhood bedroom, knocked at the door and walked in. And there's boys going to sleep in all his brother's bed. It's like a really weird version of Goldilocks. <laughs> You've both did brilliant impressions of Louis. And I know that at a time you must have tested your patience and then some, but there is always an affection I, I feel from you both towards him. Is, would that be right? Listen, there's no, there's no point in ever falling out with Louis because he says things in the press that will absolutely ruin you if you're sensitive. If you're self-conscious or you're sensitive, he says things in the spur of the moment to a journalist. They, they make it a headline and it sounds like he hates you and he's ripping you asunder. But he doesn't mean it. He genuinely doesn't mean it. He's just selling <laughs> newspapers. So if, you, if you're going to get... Now, it takes you years to realise that and, and to let him away with it. Um, like Just recently, um, I did a, a Mario Rosenstock's podcast, which is a, a kind of a, 
a, a comedian that has his own radio show back in Dublin. And he does he does impersonations of me and he does impersonations of Louie and Brian and all that. He's, he's very good. He's really clever. So I did his podcast and I explained that when Boyzone started to become big and get really successful, Louie was afraid that, you know, the, 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 the band were going to become bigger than the creator and, and possibly concerned that we changed management or something. I'm not quite sure. But to make sure we kept grounded, to make sure that we kept our feet on the ground, he would insult us in front of other people. And um, I remember he'd always in, he'd always introduce me to people as this is Keith for boys on the one that can't sing, right? And he'd always say that, and and he used to make me feel that size when I was a kid. He'd kill your confidence. But we were very famous, and we were very we were doing very well. And I think he was trying to make sure that we we didn't get too big for our boots. I didn't need that because all that was doing was destroying me. But and you two, like I said earlier, were always my favorite band. So I told Mario on the show. I said, um, uh, I said, Louis introduced me to Bono as Keith from Boys on the One That Can't Sing. Now, Louis went and done the podcast last week. I did it about two months ago. And Mario Rosenstock brought up the story. And he said, we had Keith on. And he said that you introduced him to Bono as the one in the band that can't sing. And Louis completely denied it and started ripping me asunder. And then the headlines picked up on it. The papers picked up on the interview. And all of a sudden, I'm getting Google alerts on my phone go, Louis Walsh, man. Uh, fights back to Duffy uh, and why would I even introduce him to Bono I gave him his, I gave him his only break in life you know like, just, you know but I spoke to Louis the next day and we didn't even mention the fact that we're all over the papers together so like it took off I was only speaking to Louis two days ago he's off to Miami soon so I'm going to hook up with him before he goes but, but that's what I'm saying we're all over the papers seemingly having to speak war on each other and we spoke on the phone two days ago and we never even mentioned it yeah yeah, that which is also quite Irish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boys, it's been so nice catching up with you, and you are off on tour uh, for the whole month of May month across of the UK. Year. Yeah, well, what we've decided to do on this tour was, you know, we, we've learned our audience. We know what they like, and to be honest, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, a lot of our audience are school nights. They're they're mummies, they're grannies, you know, and school nights don't suit them. So what we've tried to do is accommodate that. So we're touring, but we're only actually playing gigs on Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, and some Sunday nights. So it means Thursday night, payday, everybody wants to go out. Friday night's the weekend, Saturday night's the weekend, and some people like to go on a Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, we've taken off. We're playing golf. So the tour is great. <laughs> it's all over the whole country, but it's only on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. It's perfect. <laughs> I love it. And tickets are available wherever people buy their tickets. And all the boys like socials oh there's a link on all our socials just, just don't buy from the bloke standing outside the venue yeah don't do that <laughs> but they can expect some, they, they can yeah. expect stories <laughs> like this a load of songs and yeah. a lot of fun it's a fun uh, night you know what it's a good night for nostalgia because you know a, a lot of the fans that come to the shows the boys on the Westlife songs are kind of the the, the soundtrack to their to their to their youth and to their lives mm. you know and you know when we sing the first boys on song you get a lot of the people will be remembering the first time they ever heard boys on and they might have been a teenager and, and then you've got people that might have got married to a song from boys on the west side so you have a lot of people coming saying that the whole night is a roller coaster trip of nostalgia and you always remember where you were the first time you heard that song or it takes you back to a certain time and place so it is and it's fun for us too because it does the same for us you know because these songs are so old it always takes us back to when we had proper knees and no bad backs and, <laughs> and our original teeth <laughs> the, only, the only the only problem is now though we have to learn the lyrics yeah <laughs> that's a problem for you Keith not oh Brian. god honestly god I have to write them out a hundred times so I can remember them <laughs> well good luck with the tour and continued success it's lovely to catch up with you great time and revisit Peace. some of those brilliant nights especially the one in Indonesia Keith um, that'll live with me forever let's do, let's do it again Kate let's do it again <laughs> yeah, let's let's go thieving cars in Asia. <laughs> I'll teach you how to hot wire a tractor. <laughs> you probably could as well. Thank you, gents. Thank Enjoy you, the rest of your weekend you and good luck on the golf course. Lovely you. Lovely to see you, Darling. Bye, Kate. See you later. Bye.
A huge thanks to Keith and Brian. You can catch them on tour across the UK in May. Tickets are available for their Boys Life show in all the usual places. And if you'd like more conversation with other great 90s pop stars, why not dive into our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with Gary Barlow, Steps, Danny Minogue, All Saints, Hanson, Travis, Charlene Spiteri and Skin from Skunk and Nancy. Oh, and good news. We've started dropping a new mini midweek episode every Tuesday featuring some of the best bits from some of our very best guests. It's called something from the cellar it's vintage cuts served to your feed every tuesday afternoon so to make sure you don't miss an episode hit the follow button if you aren't already or make sure you're subscribing to the show thanks for listening white wine question time is a stack production and part of the acast creator network 